0: The bingers. Welcome to a special holiday episode of Curb the Binge, the podcast. I'm your host, Katya Slavinskaya, and I'm happy to be back with you talking about something that we've all experienced, something we share, and a vulnerable place where we can all meet. I just want to say that I'm really grateful for having this vulnerable place to meet with you. It's not an easy one and it's not pleasant. And it's work that takes a lot of, um, how should I say, a lot of willingness to walk through muck and face the messy parts of life when things don't look pretty. And it has the potential to bring us so close to other human beings when we can be vulnerable and open about it. So... I want to make that the theme of this holiday special, and I'll get into a little bit more of what my thoughts on that are, but I wanted to um, share a couple of things with you. One is that if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy this podcast, then I ask you um, with all my heart to please go to iTunes and review this podcast. The more reviews it gets, the more exposure it's going to get. And the more that people are going to know it's here, the more community will build and it'll just keep going from there. And hopefully we'll be able to neutralize the shame around this um, incredible issue. So please do that. Please go leave a review. And then the second thing is that There's now a donate button on the website um, underneath on the podcast page. You'll see it underneath all the podcasts listed. You'll also see it on the blog page underneath all the blogs. That donate button goes through PayPal. And if you enjoy the show, if you like the show, if you feel helped by the show, then please help us to keep running it, to keep bringing you honest, transparent, stories from real life um, experts talking as well from their fields of expertise on the subject of addiction and binging and um, compulsion and and me giving my heart to this project. So if you could donate whatever you can, any amount is significant. What's important is that you donate an amount that's significant to you and any amount that you donate will absolutely be so appreciated And you'll get to know that you're helping the show continue um, to stay alive and to thrive. So thank you for that. Now, without further ado, I want to talk about our subject today. And it's something that I'm really feeling very strongly about. And um, I wouldn't say passionately, but just it feels really alive in me today. And that is the inner child and what it has to do with binge eating. Now the, the phrase, the inner child has sort of been around for so long that it's almost become a really cliched. It's like, if somebody wants to make fun of psychotherapy or laying on the therapist's couch, we talk about, we use the example of the inner child. And I have to confess that for a long time, I resisted looking into the the issue or the the possibility that my inner child was real, a real thing and that it was um, up to something because it didn't feel satisfied. It didn't feel complete. It didn't feel like its childhood was really um, complete and had left it prepared for adulthood. So... I want to just kind of go back to my childhood and everyone's is different, but just to use mine as an example and how it plays out today and this sort of very deep and vulnerable work that I'm doing around, um, around it all now. So I was born in what was at the time the Soviet union and, um, I lived in the city in Moscow, but sometimes we would go, um, actually I would spend pretty much every summer at our country house and I got very connected to my grandparents there who lived in the country. And then when I was three years old, my parents who had been thinking about moving to the United States for some time actually got all of their papers and their documents and their ducks in a row. And we were able to leave. So we, um, we did, we, we packed up like nine suitcases and a bunch of different things here and there as well. Uh, on top of the suitcases, carry on items and such. And, um, and boarded a plane and we had to go through, um, different parts of Europe at the time in order to get to the United States because of visa, um, logistics. So We ended up first in Austria, and then in Italy. And you can imagine that it was a lot for a child to go through. I had, um, first of all, to say goodbye to my grandparents, who had, had a big role in raising me up to that time. And it was very sudden for me. Of course, as a child, I didn't understand or know any of the reasons why we were moving. From our home, um, and and it was very just kind of abrupt and sudden, and I was just swept along for this ride and Then, when we were living in these interim places, especially in Austria, there was a time when i um, I just had so much going on inside of me, and i um, I started throwing tantrums, and I needed attention. But my parents were very wrapped up in the stress of this move. And understandably so. There was so much going on. And they had a three-year-old. And a three-year-old still needs a lot of attention and care. And um, a lot of sort of painful things happened in the way that my parents regarded and and reacted to my tantrums and my acting out in this need for attention because of course as a three-year-old I couldn't just say hey I need you know I need attention right now you guys might have a lot going on with the move but I'm still three I'm still a little child and I still need you to be my mommy and daddy and be really present with me instead I was um, inoculated with fear You know, I was told that, um, I I was told all sorts of things about, you know, if I love my family, then I'm, I'm going to act differently. I'm going to, um, to respect them and to, you know, to, to stay manageable and things like that. And, and that if I didn't, if I wasn't willing to behave that way that I could leave and find a new family and so this kind of thing and you know just I just want to say like I love my family and we have a great relationship it's just that there are these things from childhood that are unhealed and I believe that it's really important to go back and to heal these places in ourselves that are still um, that are still wounded and still don't understand exactly why what happened happened Anyway, so um, from there we moved to the States and um, we sort of got settled in and I had to learn, you know, I, I started to undertake the the new job of learning a different language. So that was relatively easy. I was young and I just, you know, got, I started school in New York. So that was, um, that came pretty quickly and naturally. And I was, you know, pretty quickly speaking English, maybe better than other members of my family just by virtue of being so young or at least the same right. And so I started doing pretty well in school. I was um, always writing. I was always writing and getting good marks for my ideas and for my reports I started doing quite well in all the subjects, and this continued um, just at a very kind of regular public school in an immigrant neighborhood. So, people with relatively lower incomes, um, but by far not like the you know the sort of ghettos of New York City at all. Just just an immigrant neighborhood, and um, and then when I was about twelve years old, I was in middle school what we call junior high and my grades started to really slip I started to get this influx of hormones and along with that it there came this second kind of wave of needing my parents attention um, in a way that I just they didn't they weren't available for it and once again they're very loving people and my my family's very close um, there are just these moments and so at that, that wave happened and I didn't get the resource that I was needing. I really didn't get the um, the guidance, I would say, and support. And so at that time, that's when this pattern started to form where um, my parents were quite permissive, I would say. You know, if there's if there are two extremes, you could call them authoritarian and permissive, um, overly strict or just kind of no boundaries at all. I would say my parents were probably on the per- permissive side, um, partially because they were just so busy, and as long as you know I was safe, there wasn't a whole lot more guidance about how to um, how to go about living. So. Um, so there was this kind of lack of boundaries. And if I wanted to, you know, if I wanted to just eat a lot of cake or I wanted to, you know, when I was 12, I started smoking cigarettes, drinking alcohol and, um, you know, experimenting with sexuality in some ways that I think I, it was definitely too young. And I wasn't, I didn't, Uh, I wasn't given clear boundaries around those things. Part of it was because those would have been hard to enforce for people that were extremely busy and wrapped up in just trying to survive in this new country. So I started to learn how to be permissive with myself. And the parenting that I got lacked boundaries. So fast forward many years, right? Fast forward to a 20 something that girl. And I actually left my, um, my home very young as well. I, I went to boarding school. My parents, um, got me into a boarding school overseas when I was 14. So I ended up leaving my family and living there for three years with just visiting for holidays in between. And then, um, I came back to New York city for maybe a year and a half or so went to community college, um, for media and communications. And then I decided to go to, um, to move to Boulder, Colorado. And it was kind of a whim. It was kind of just an intuitive feeling. I was going on a feeling and I just bought a plane ticket, um, and moved to, to Boulder when I was 18. So I had, by that time, already had so many experiences of leaving, um, you know, leaving family. First leaving family when I was three, leaving my grandparents, then leaving my parents to go to boarding school, and then again leaving my family uh, for, you know, just indefinitely to move to the other side of the country. And So, you know, fast forward to this time, there's a, you know, a college age girl and she didn't grow up with boundaries. And in fact, even at that time, um, I knew what I had to do. I knew that I had to get good grades. I knew that I wanted to study hard because I wanted to learn, but the framework around how to make that effective, such as getting enough sleep every night, having, uh, healthy meals on time, having a structure of when I would clean my house and how I would organize my money. Those things were just not in place. I was never taught them. Um, I went to school overseas where the whole system was different. And, um, and so very little was transferable or applicable. And, um, And on top of it, we just weren't taught those things. So I lacked these basic skills of how to make it in the world. But then I also didn't really, I didn't have any boundaries to control myself with. So while I was getting good marks in school and somehow, you know, scraping by, all those things were a lot harder for me because they were juxtaposed on a landscape of also you know, binge eating, binge drinking sometimes, or just drinking without really knowing how, or understanding how it was going to affect my state of mind in school the next day. Um, and I realize a lot of people have this, you know, it's not just me. And that's, that's actually, that's why I'm sharing the story. Um, and anyway, so, so there was this kind of, um, This feeling of surviving without having the basic tools, the basic skills that would have made it not so hard, made it not feel like I was going against the grain all the time, just trying to live life, uh, just trying to get good grades, just trying to make it to class, just trying to get my homework done, just trying to get my reports done. All of that felt very much like swimming upstream. And then for the, for the, uh, remainder of my twenties, it was the same, you know, it was a lot of learning, um, things and it still is learning things that many people learn when they're 15, 14 about budgeting, about, uh, managing money, about just kind of managing their own self-care habits and things like that. And so, when I look... All of this is to say that when I look deep inside of myself and I look deep inside at this person that I am now, this constellation that I am now, what I see is a child who feels very much like she was raised by wolves a little bit. There's a sense that... um There weren't really any grown-ups around to show me how to live life skillfully. And that, uh, in effect, I've spent my whole life looking for somebody to teach me how to live life skillfully. And when I really get in touch with her, she... That wolf child, we'll call her, right? She's very, very scared. She's very, very scared. I I can just call her wolf child Katya. We do this thing in my relationship where we take parts of ourselves and we name them so that we know um, who we're talking about or what part of ourselves we're talking about when we're talking about them. And we also recognize that that part is not all of us. It's just one part. So this wolf child Katya is really... Terrified that she's not going to make it in this world. She has um, every reason to believe that she doesn't have the guidance, the support that she needs to survive, or at least to live skillfully. Um she believes that things like 401ks, retirement plans, um, like a well-managed budget like, um, a peaceful household wherein everyone is taking care of themselves well. She believes that those things are not available to her, that she is just, um, much too kind of wild and untamed to deserve any of those things. How does this relate to binge eating? Well, it's that very part of me, that very part of Katya that comes out in these uncontrollable urges to eat food. And when that happens is largely when she feels overwhelmed by the tasks of the world. She feels hopeless about actually making it. She feels that She's being pushed into too much more, much more than she can handle. And she really wants to run and hide and just curl up into a ball and, you know, maybe live in a cave for a long time until um, she can sort of peek out and, and all of her responsibilities have blown over. It's this side of me that comes out and wants to binge. And you know what? This is really important, and this is what I want to tell you today. When I just use these kind of um, out outer world frameworks and discipline and willpower to try to control my eating, I can go quite a long time without having a binge. I've learned how to create structures in my day where I only have three meals a day. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat flour. I pretty much do, um, what I know of the bright line eating system. And, um, and at the same time, I have to say that it hasn't solved the inner child issue. I have to say that there's still a part of me that causes it wreaks havoc it wreaks havoc in my relationships not only to my partner but to my children to um, friends to co-workers and it's not you know any more drama than anybody else has in their life probably but what I recognize is that well I'm trying to be conscious enough to see the origin point of this drama because I truly believe in my heart That we don't need to live with drama, that we can actually live in a way that um, is sort of fueled by intelligent consciousness and recognition of our patterns and slow enough to make healthy decisions moment to moment. Of course, not getting it perfect all the time, but improving due to conscious awareness. And so seeing the origin point of this drama that happens in my life sometimes, um, like say when I'm feeling that I really need to push myself and because I really need to push myself and I uh, don't allow myself to rest in those cases, um, you know, I really, I deprive my children of their time with me which is basically the same thing that my parents did. So this is the kind of drama that I'm talking about, the perpetuation of cycles, the perpetuation of patterns. And it's this side of me that's still needing something that it didn't get when it was a child. And that the answer to that is always love. It's always not enough love. In my book, in my bias, um, it's always love that was lacking or missing that creates a gap and that creates a feeling inside of us that uh, we need to fill a hole. And so back to this inner child, what I want you to do, because um, along with any outward action that you're taking to just try to put structure around eating because I do believe that that's important, but I also, and more firmly believe that it has to come from within and it has to be a gentle and loving kind of discipline. Lisa Jo Landsberg talked about this in the podcast. Um, the number one, what was it? The number one cause of all um, compulsions or something. Heal, heal the number one. Cause of all compulsions. You can see it on the list of podcasts. So she was talking about that what we need is a positive kind of discipline because if we use brute force or we push on ourselves, that inner child is really going to get hurt. It's going to get hurt more than it already is hurt. And it's just going to reinforce this belief that it has, that it's unloved, it's unseen, and that it doesn't have a place in this world to just be what it is and to be where it is, more importantly. And so what I want you to do is to take some time and journal about what that feeling inside of you that inner child in you might need. And this can take a little bit of time from the moment that you're asked the question to the moment where you can actually tap in to what that deep, what those deep feelings are. Um, and what, you know, a few things can help definitely the medium of writing. I believe so much and so strongly in writing things down and I believe that we can write to think or we can write to undertake the process of discovery, self-discovery. Um, and what I mean by that is instead of writing in order to report something like, oh, I felt this way today, we can write questions. We can come up with the best questions that we can, like, how does my inner child feel? We can just start with that. And then from those questions, we might get more questions, or we might start to get something that feels like the beginnings of clues. And um, Tony Robbins says, the questions are the answers. And I completely agree. Sometimes actually, and actually Albert Einstein, um, had a lot to say on this as well. If you find the right question, then you've done 90% of the work. So to me, one of these really key questions in the road to healing binge eating and any kind of compulsion or addiction is what does that inner child inside of me, what does she need What did she not get? What is she starving for? Because we are clearly starving. If we're stuffing ourselves with food, there is a part of us that's starving for something. And I want you to really give yourself the space and the time to go in and to see and to feel what that is. Because once you discover that, the whole playing field will change. It will no longer be about mind over matter or trying to will yourself into not binging or trying to discipline yourself into a different style or schedule of eating, that's all going to sort of fade away because that's been a substitute or replacement for actually doing the deep work of seeing what this inner child needs. It's been a way to manage the inner child, but the inner child hasn't been integrated into your experience yet. And certainly this has been the case for me. I got quite good at being very austere with my diet and only eating three meals a day for many, many years. But, um, you know, and I wasn't perfect at it. I had days when I would obviously, you know, and I've been very open about this when I would fall off and I would binge. But for the most part, for great majority of the time, I would have three meals a day and um, not eat sugar and things like that. And so what I'm saying is that in all those years, yes, I learned something. I learned how to manage things, but this inner child still wreaked havoc. It, I still hadn't found a way to a peaceful life, a way to um, a neutral life, it, in neutral meaning a neutral attitude toward things that I feel... You know, a, a desire towards or an aversion towards. Um, and I write about desire and, and aversion in some recent blogs. You can catch them on the blog page. So this idea of journaling, that's one tool that you can use. Another tool, and this comes from Inner Bonding, it's um, a, a system that I don't actually know very much about, but you can Google it and watch some videos. But um, what I do know about it is that there's, um, there's work done with using a stuffed animal and how it's done is you take a stuffed animal and it's very cute and soft and cuddly and fuzzy. And you talk to them like they're your inner child and you ask them, what, what do you feel in this moment? You know, maybe you had uh, something happen at work where someone wasn't very nice to you or your idea wasn't heard or met with optimism or something and you feel hurt and you want to go and binge. Before you go and binge, you can take that stuffed animal and you can just ask them. You can hold them in front of you with, and, and, and immediately, you know, there's this feeling of tenderness because they're so cute and they're so... Um, innocent and with that feeling of tenderness you can ask them what is it that you feel and then you can let that part of you speak and say and voice what it is that you feel then you can ask what do you need so what do you feel what do you need and listen to that answer and then you can ask what would make you feel better And listen to that answer. You can ask these kinds of questions. You can, you know, again, you can listen to the videos, you can watch the videos for the exact um, program. But what I'm kind of getting at is you can also guide it yourself, just looking for these questions that feel real for you that you would want to ask your inner child that you would want to ask a child if they had been in an altercation or in a situation where they didn't feel seen or heard and then the listening part when you're listening to your own inner child in the form of this stuffed animal you're speaking right you're you're saying what it is from that place um what it is that you feel what it is that you need You're speaking, and at the same time, you're the listener. And listening, the listening part is just as important as actually what is coming out in the voicing aspect of it. So, because you are actually in that moment offering to yourself what you didn't get as a child. And listening, I'm guessing, is on the list for most, if not all of us. Right, deep listening, open listening, um, listening without agenda, without trying to lecture or teach you right away what the grown-ups think that they know. So give yourself that listening, give yourself that openness, and that's what I have to say about that inner child today. Working like this is not a fast process. Um, in some ways, it we don't get a guarantee. That overnight will be healed. Another, in other ways, you know, it can be very, it can create dramatic results very quickly. I've done work like this um, around relationship, and what I will say is, when you're ready to really face your inner child, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That means that you've done a lot of inner work, a lot of cultivating of the soil in order to prepare yourself to even face that part of you that hasn't gotten what you needed. Because it takes a lot of courage. Most of us go through a lot, a large portion of this life, avoiding and trying to mask in whatever way possible what that inner child is screaming for. And It's my um, belief that many of us walk around with this part, if not all of us. So um, look into what that part of yourself might be. You can give it a name if that appeals to you, if that resonates to you, and then it becomes easier to relate to that part. Write down what some of those deep feelings are and practice that exercise with a stuffed animal. And sometimes even just holding that stuffed animal Like you would hold your child self, yourself as a little girl, um, even just holding yourself in that way can be enormously healing. So try those things. And then I want to touch on um, a question that we got on the private Facebook group and something that um, I'm going to anonymously just kind of respond to because this is the, the holiday special. And really what's um, special about it is a couple things, but, but one is that I, you know, I wanted to take uh, a question from outside of myself, from somebody else and, um, and address it. So anonymously, this person says that I don't like to eat in front of people. There are lots of Christmas chocolates around that can be bought as if they are presents, so I don't worry about people judging me for buying a whole bunch. Then I feel panicked about having to see people Christmas Day and still being overweight, um, and that'll cause me to want to eat them all. So that's you know pointing to thank you so much to this sister first of all who brings this honesty and this level of vulnerability and rawness so that we can um, we can all relate because I think we can all relate. And certainly I know the feeling of not wanting um, to eat in front of people and especially not wanting to eat dessert or not wanting to eat something that kind of calls out this addictive side of me where I want to eat more and more of it. I'm fine eating bacon and eggs in front of people, you know, but I don't want to eat pumpkin pie because I don 't really have it in my capacity so far to eat one slice of pumpkin pie, and um, we'll see if that ever happens but you know so there's this this certain um, this certain kind of reinforcement of the pattern of having a secret behavior or a private behavior, and one thing that I love in um in therapy is exposure therapy. I love just this notion that oftentimes what heals us is the thing that we fear the most is actually doing that thing, I mean barring things that are actually physically dangerous to our well-being. Um, but if it's morally and ethically sound, and if it's uh, if it's not a danger to us in an overt way, then then I really firmly believe in trying to expose ourselves to that as much as possible so that we can actually teach ourselves that those things are not going to be the end of the world the way that we think that they are. Example, um, eating a dessert in front of my partner when, you know, I have this deep feeling that eating dessert needs to be a private behavior if I ever eat dessert because most of the time, like I said, I don't eat sugar. But when I have that hankering and it feels uncontrollable, I'm liable to just wait until I'm alone. For some reason, I can always control the binging when I'm around others, right? I don't ever go into a binge cycle um, or a binge session when I'm with my family. I can always put it off, but for some reason when I'm alone... Um, it can get the better of me. And so, you know, one kind of exposure therapy idea is if I'm going to binge anyway, and I know that I can feel it in my bones, then why not have that slice of pie in front of my beloved so that they can see this part of me that's so vulnerable. They can see this wolf child, Katya, you know, this, this inner child in me that needs something that Um, That it hasn't gotten. And it doesn't mean that then I'm going to, you know, completely lose my discipline and completely lose my structure. No. But sometimes we take these little actions in a controlled way, not not control with a capital C, not micromanaging, in a controlled way, meaning in a safe container. We take these specific actions for the sake of showing our inner child that something that they deem to be extremely threatening is actually not. So if I can eat a piece of pumpkin pie in front of my beloved and know that you know, and prove to myself rather and show myself that the next morning I'm still gonna get up and I'm gonna do my practice, my yoga practice, and I'm gonna make breakfast and I'm gonna work I'm not gonna my whole life isn't gonna crumble um I'm not gonna stop taking care of the kids things like that if i can if I can show myself that that I won't become completely dysfunctional and lay on the couch forever from eating a slice of pumpkin pie in front of him then that's something to build on. Then I have, um, then I have, you know, a sort of that inner child is, is getting a little bit more trusting potentially, or at least I'm working on earning her trust because now she doesn't feel like she has to hide anymore. So, um, to my you know to to everyone who's concerned about this eating in front of other people especially eating dessert or eating something that um that triggers those addictive patterns in you i'll say two things one is that the adult part of you right that we certainly need to work with because they are um they are in the end what carries you through this adult portion of life and they are the one who's responsible for making sound decisions. So to that adult part of you, I want to say it's really helpful to cut out the things that are addictive to us, to really cut them out and and um, train our system. this is from a physiological perspective. Train our system to not always be reliant on these dopamine hits on these you know on this kind of high that comes from eating sugar um, or just overeating food in general. It is a dopamine response. It's a measurable brain chemistry response. So I would say that it is helpful to take time away uh, because then you really learn that you can live without these things and, in fact, you probably feel better without them. Um, and you can check out Bright Line Eating for more on this kind of system of um, organizing eating in a very particular clean, tidy way, but then to the child self in you, I just want to say that, um, you know, it might actually help to not, not in a, in an um, kind of losing control forever way, but in a measured way, in a decided way, in a decisive way, it might help to actually expose yourself to that which you fear. And this is also something that, you know, I think is at the heart of what April Lyons talked about in her podcast early on. I think it was September that we recorded that one, Eat What You Want When You Want It. You can listen to it in the, uh, in the archives on the podcast page all the way um, back in the beginning. And so it's addressing this fear that if we just let ourselves go, that we're going to want to eat forever and never get off the couch. It doesn't happen that way because we're not just our child self. Our child self is there, but we also have worked long and hard to develop an adult self, and that will eventually rein things in. So uh, it's both. I might sound like I'm contradicting myself, But it has to be both, I believe. We have to, um, we can't ignore any part of ourselves lest they, um, come out strange or, um, dictate our habits in a completely unconscious way. So the more we can make friends with all these parts, the more we can become whole and integrated and go for our dreams in a way that is sustainable in a way that is, um, full of integrity and can help others along their path. So that's it for me today. Um, the other portion of this holiday special is that I want to offer you a 25% discount off of any of the consult offerings, um, the packages. I really recommend the three or the six um, session packages because then we really get to know each other and get to dive in to all of this work um, in a way that is personalized for you. So I highly recommend. Um, and and right now it's only through January first. So it's only through um, through the new year that I'm offering 25% off of any of the consult offerings and I recommend the packages. Um, but you can certainly also get a one-off, get a one session and you'll get 25% off of that as well. And that's a great way to just get a taste of what coaching with me would be like, and also get some great tips that you can start using right away. And, um, Remember, the point of this is not just to curb the binge. It's not just to change your binge eating habits or patterns. It's to actually live your dream. It's to bring you to the place in your life that you want to be. And so, um, I just wanna I wanna urge you to take that step. You can find uh, the consult packages on curbthebinge.com there's a one-on-one tab on the right and click that one-on-one tab you'll be able to schedule your sessions yourself just from your computer and then once again leave a review donate um and I will just continue to do this work because I believe in it and I will continue to um bring you the the most transparent content that I can about my path and what I'm learning. And I will continue to bring you, um, great experts and people in the field that I find so inspiring and we'll just continue to put one foot in front of the other and actually take action steps and do the deep emotional work. And I promise you that it won't be for nigh. I promise you that we will see results. We will see progress and we will feel differently in our lives. So please keep the faith and know that things can and do change and keep honing in on what you want because knowledge is power and clarity is power. I'm wishing you the happiest holiday and trusting you fully in how you navigate this around food because I know that your deep wisdom will guide you. I love you and I'll see you next time.